Hi, Pastor Rob here from City East Church and MTL Ministries. This sermon series is called Uncovering Religion. We live in a day where the world is saturated with contradictory faiths and beliefs. Can they all be right? Are they all wrong? As Christians, it is imperative that we understand something of what these religions teach and believe so that we can accurately discern right from wrong. This sermon is called, Is Jesus God? Because I've been getting pressed of late by uh, people on the internet who are claiming that Jesus is not God. And uh, just as a Jehovah Witness would or a Christadelphian or a Mormon, uh, a Mormon would and a Muslim would, um, they would claim this very thing. Uh, these guys don't claim to be any of those groups, but are still claiming from Scripture that they're convinced that Jesus is not God. So today we're going to be looking at a number of references in relation to the Godhood or the deity of Jesus Christ. This sermon is in response to a number of men who have been debating with me of late and who drop large discourses of writings on our videos. Because now that Google Plus has taken over the comments section of YouTube, there's no limit anymore on their comments. So now we're getting these large, like, it's like they just go and copy and paste from a Word document straight in and you just got these slabs. I don't have time to read those slabs. I pretty well read the first paragraph. Oh, okay, I know where he's going. And I just can't read it because it's just too much. And they'll do it not just once. They'll do three, four comments and they'll put in an essay in each one. So this sermon's in, in a response to that. They put these writings on our videos in an attempt to turn me and to turn others from faith in Jesus Christ as being as God, as God the Father is. So they're trying to tell me that Jesus is not God of the same kind or anything like the Father but that Jesus is a created being. I'm finding increasingly that more and more professed Christians are adopting the belief system that Jesus is a creature, a created existence of God, and that he most assuredly is not God. He is God's Christ, a created creature who was created to be a sin bearer. That's how some of them will see it. Not all of them, but they... they because I can't understand, well, if Jesus isn't God, then who is he? Well... Because he carried the sin of mankind on his, on his body on a cross and he was raised to life. And he, not only does it say that the Father raised him, it also says the Holy Spirit raised him. It also says that he himself will raise himself. So just those three references to the resurrection of Jesus Christ re refer to Jesus being as God as God is. Because he said, I myself will raise myself up. You know. Um, so if he's not God, who is he? He must be a created creature created for the purpose of carrying sin. But not only that, he's going to have to share praise and worship with God the Creator at the same level that God the Father receives, because I'm going to talk about that, and that to me is problematic with that theology. So is Jesus Yahweh? And this is the thing, they argue points like this. This is some of their logic. They've got a lot of uh, stuff the way they look into the scriptures. Because Jesus uses the words, my God, four times in Revelation 3.12, this is why they believe he's not God. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. So Jesus referring to God as his God means he's above him. Because we say my God because he created us. So the fact that this, our English translation translates it that way 
they now believe that, well, Jesus referred to him as my God, therefore he is not God because God is his God. Can you see their logic? It's something you have to just, okay, take, accept that bit of logic rather than accept the logic that he's calling his father God, my, his own God, because he's his father. But also if you look to the Greek, which I didn't have time to do, I'd like to see the wording because it would probably be, make this, solve this whole problem very, very quickly, which probably means I should have looked to the Greek. <laughs> anyway, so I'll make him a pillar in the temple of my God and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God, again, my God, and the name of the city of my God and the, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. And I will write on him my new name. Romans 1.7 says, God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So they emphasize and, separate, not the same. God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Doesn't convince me that that means just because there's an and, <laughs> now he's not God. Because if you're a Trinitarian, you understand that there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So these are the dilemmas, and this is what I want to go to and go through now with you. And uh, I'm, I'm going to appeal to those on YouTube that also believe that Jesus is not God. Please bear with me and watch this video, because it's going to help you to really grasp the why we believe that Jesus is God. And I think I've got a very, very strong case but please watch the entire video. Don't just turn me off after you hear the first thing that does, you don't initially agree with because it conflicts with your theology. So they interpret that to mean that for Jesus to call the Father my God, that he therefore is a worshipper of God, just like all created beings. That's When Jesus says my God, they believe that means that he worships God just like we do uh, or any created creature does, but he's definitely not God. And because Jesus is called a righteous servant of God, in Isaiah 53, he's called my righteous servant, that this also means that he is not God, but his servant. Because they believe, how can God be a servant of God? Do you know what I mean? So, bad logic. Bad logic. I don't think that's substantial to go and prove that Jesus is not God. I don't think these points are valid. But we're going to take a, a different approach. We're going to look straight at this. Revelation 19, 9 to 10, where we're told to worship only God. The angel said to me, right, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. At this I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, do not do it. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. He's saying, don't worship me. This is a, a, obviously a very high-ranking angel. Don't worship me. Worship only God. Now, usually if you find something three times in Scripture, it confirms the, the doctrine. Okay, Revelation 22, 8 to 9, not far on. And I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I had heard and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. But he said to me, do not do it. Again, another angel or could be the same angel, I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers and the prophets and of all who keep the words of this book, worship God. Again, worship God. All right Now the third one is, and there's a lot more than just three, by the way, Matthew 4, 8 to 10, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, this is during Jesus' 40-day fast, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. This is Satan saying this to Jesus. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So we're told, and that's in Deuteronomy 6.13, we're told to worship God alone. 
So no one else. So that's interesting. Yet in Hebrews 1.6, this is a point I want these guys that try to uh, come against the deity of Christ. I want them to explain this. When God, it says this in Hebrews 1.6, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he said, when God brings his firstborn, that's his own, into the world, he said, let all God's angels worship him. But God tells us that worship only God. Then why does God say, let all God's angels worship him if you're only meant to worship God? It would be a sin to worship anyone but God. That to me tells Jesus, uh, God says straight out, Jesus is God because worship him, worship him. John 5, to 23, moreover, the father judges no one but has entrusted all judgment to the Son. And listen to this, get these words very clearly, that all may honour the Son just as they honour the Father. All may honour the Son just as they honour the Father. Equal footing. Only God. God would not create a creature and then raise him up to his level on equal footing and equal worship and equal honour, would he? No created creature could stand at that level with God. I think these are very valid points. I think the, these points crush everyone's view of, uh, of Jesus not being God. So he who does not honour the Son does not honour the Father. So if you don't honour Jesus as God, you don't honour God also. <laughs> That's why it's such a sin. That is why it's such a sin to say Jesus is not God. These guys that have turned, and I know there's one guy, I'm not going to mention his name, but he used to follow my ministry in the sense that I remember he's even commented favourably on my videos uh, four months ago, a video, Jesus is God. He commented favourably. He was a believer in Jesus being God then. In four months, he's completely turned. Now he's putting up videos, anti-Jesus uh, deity videos. Within four months, he's turned and he reckons he's got a case. He thinks he's stacking evidence on evidence against Jesus being God. But it says this, who, he who does not honour the Son does not honour the Father. All, and it says earlier that all may honour the Son just as they honour the Father. Now that whole reference of the Son of God, this is another thing they, they misunderstand. Now I've got some, please hang out and wait for this uh, if you're watching this video. Um, there's some very important points I'm going to bring up about that. Some incredible points that they must, anyone who doesn't believe that Jesus is God, must watch. Is Jesus Yahweh? In his sermon, Bedlam in Bethlehem by Joe Schimmel, great sermon, recommend that everyone listen to that sermon. He did an intense study upon the affirmations of Jesus being God at his birth. And he found that three times in Matthew chapter 2 alone that Jesus was worshipped. Three times he was, he was worshipped in chapter 2 alone. And only God is to be worshipped. Amen? Only God should be worshipped. Matthew 2.11, on coming to the house, they saw the child and his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. They bowed down and worshipped him. Now, if that's not God, why are they bowing down? Then they opened their treasures and they presented him with gifts. And these gifts are important. Uh, Joshua goes into detail about this. But all I can say is that the gold is what you give to kings. Incense is what you burn in a temple in offerings, offering of worship to God. And myrrh is an embalming uh, fluid which is used to 
when you embalm someone uh, on death. Very unusual that they gave him myrrh. That's amazing, isn't it? Okay, so God and his son equally worshipped. Revelation 5, 11 to 14. And now this is another one. This is a, if you want to call it, a nail in the coffin on this issue. Revelation 5, 11 to 14. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. So this is the, the angelic host of, of uh, heaven. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they sang, who did they sing to? Worthy is the Lamb, who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. Come on. That's what you sing to God. You don't sing that to a created creature. You sing that to God. Worthy is the Lamb. And who's the Lamb? Everyone knows who the Lamb is the Lamb of God who was slain. We know who the Lamb is. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne, who's that God, the Father, and to the Lamb be praise and honour and glory and power forever and ever. This is important that we understand this. Jesus is sitting on the throne with the Father receiving equal praise, honour, glory, from his creation. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped who? God the Father, God the Son. The Lamb who's on the throne with the Father. I think there's very good evidence that that's God. Jesus is God. These anti-deifiers, which I've come to call them... (laughs) Anti-deifiers of Christ will say that God is mentioned separate to the Lamb. Therefore, he is not God, but but that's the whole point. (laughs) He's mentioned separate to God, not because he's not God, but because God wants to reveal something about himself so that we can know who he is. That's the whole point. He's the second person of God. He's the second person who laid his life down for men and therefore he's honoured by being called the Lamb of God. He's honoured. That's a great honour for Jesus to be called the Lamb of God because he knows what what he went through to get that title. However, he is clearly worshipped as God, sharing the worship which only God can receive. Jesus, the Lamb of God, sharing the worship with God the Father. Now, how could a created creature in heaven who is not allowed to be worshipped. The only reason Satan fell was because he tried to take the worship that was belonged to God. He was kicked out of the kingdom for that. Jesus can receive the worship and he won't be kicked out of the kingdom because he is God. It just You cannot explain it any other way. It has to be God to share worship with God. I'm really emphasizing these points. I know it doesn't, you guys understand this, but I'm amazed how many people are contacting me who misunderstand it. Oh, I haven't got to that yet. I I was going to cover the Holy Spirit hopefully next week in the Jesus in the Old Testament. Um, But we know that the Holy Spirit that Jesus ascended to to the Father, to the right hand of the Father, so he could send us the Holy Spirit, to be with us and, and lead us into all truth. And, and he's not a force, an impersonal force, because no force you know, has 
uh, the ability to counsel us and direct us and guide us. He's, he's, he's as God as God is as well. He's the third person that is sent to be with us. So if we can claim that Jesus is God, that's evidence that we have the Holy Spirit. If you can't claim Jesus is God, you don't have the Holy Spirit. So the whole concept of the Trinity doesn't wash. My point is, like, just quickly, do we worship the Holy Spirit or Jesus and God? All, all should be worshipped because they're all God. They're all God as God as God is and only we only worship God. We worship... Um, but because the Holy Spirit is with us, the Holy Spirit, when we pray, the Holy Spirit moves us to prayer and we pray through Jesus in his name to the Father. That's just the process and that's how uh, our prayers, prayers work according to Scripture. Okay, so worship the Word. Revelation fourteen seven. he said in a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. So fear God, give him glory, and worship him who made the heavens, the earth, uh, and the springs of water, the sea and the springs of water. Jesus is clearly, according to three scriptures, or again, I'll get, I've got three scriptures that declare that Jesus created all things. How could a created creature create all things, including himself? Because if he's a created creature, he was created by him who created all things. He wasn't created separate and then created all things. Does that make sense? Because it says Jesus created all things. Therefore, how could he be a created creature? He would have had to create himself. That's not the case. Jesus is clearly the one who made the heavens and the earth, etc. When Paul, by the Holy Spirit, described Jesus' deity, he said this, he said in Colossians 1, 15 to 17, he is the image of the invisible God. He's the image of the invisible God. That's what Jesus came to reveal himself to us, to show us who God is in person. And when we found out who he is, what? He's sinless for a start. He's righteous, good, holy, true, just, loving. We know these things about God because of Jesus now. The firstborn, which means preeminent in the Greek, over all creation. For by him all things were created. Get this, for by Jesus all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers, rulers or authorities. All things were created by Jesus and all things were created for Jesus. So if they're created by Jesus, who's the creator? Jesus. It's a whole lot of nails in, mate. whole lot of nails in the coffin going in. He is before all things, eternal. He's before creation. He's before anything in the universe existed. And in him, all things hold together. So without Jesus, the universe would not stay together. It stays together because of his command, his word. Um, now, at this point, I didn't add the other two scriptures, which is John 1, 1, 1 onwards. And also, I didn't add Hebrews 1, verse 3. Uh, but I do uh, in, in a few screens. Now, not once did Jesus ever reject. This is another point. Not once Remember, the angels got worshipped by John and, and the angel said, don't do this. The centurion, Cornelius, bowed down to Peter. What did Peter say? Get up, I'm a man like you, I'm a servant of God. Don't worship me, worship Jesus and worship God alone. Right? They, uh, the only one that will receive your worship is Satan, an egotistical man. <laughs> if you want to worship them, they'll receive it. That's what it's all about. 
getting as much worship as possible. But when you get true, holy men of God and angels of God, they will not receive worship. They'll direct you to the true source and they'll get you to worship the true God. So not once did Jesus ever reject man's worship of him as God. Now, if Jesus said, get up, get up, I'm a man like you, don't worship me, then we could say, okay, Jesus isn't God. But he never said that. If he was not God, then it would have been a sin for him to receive the worship which only God deserves. Amen? If he wasn't God and he'd received worship, then that would have been a sin for him to receive it. And we know he's sinless. Exactly. Yeah. And, and Thomas when he said, my God and my... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, that's one, one example. I'm not using that. There's heaps of examples. When the children are singing Hosanna to him and they're laying down palm branches and they're cloaks and he's riding in on a donkey, you know, there's other examples of him receiving worship from the masses and it really annoyed the Pharisees. Why aren't you stopping them from saying this? I recently got crucified because he said, I am God. I am God, yeah. That's the reason. And his name will be Emmanuel, which means God is with us. God is with us. His name, yeah, is God with us. Isn't that amazing? Emmanuel. God with us. That's a great point. I didn't even think of using that point. Thanks, Phil. Emmanuel means God with us. So his name testifies to who he is. Matthew 14, 31 to 33. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith. This was when Peter walked on the water. And he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat, what did they do? They worshipped him. Who? Jesus saying, truly you are the Son of God. Truly you are the Son of God, worthy of worship. Amazing. It's there. It's in the Scriptures. Matthew 28, 8 to 10. So the women hurried away from the tomb. This was after Jesus had been resurrected, afraid yet filled with joy and ran to tell the disciples because I think they had just witnessed the two angels who told them not, not to look here among the dead. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. And they came to him. They clasped his feet and worshipped him. And then Jesus says, do not worship me, I am but a man. Did he? No. He said, do not be afraid. He didn't reject them. Come on, we can't read any more lies into scripture. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, they, there they will see me. That's amazing. Matthew 28, 17 to 20, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, and this was uh, doubting Thomas, this was the, what you say before, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Only God can take that, uh, can handle that kind of authority. No man can, we know that from history. No man can handle that level of authority. No man has ever had the authority of heaven and earth. Man have tried to have the authority of just earth, you know, but they can't handle it very well. They always end up doing terrible atrocities. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. But coming back to the beginning of that, the point is that when they saw him, they worshipped him. And he did not rebuke them. Luke 24, 52, then they worshipped him and they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Now, just in relation to the um, make disciples of all nations, the Great Commission, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. The issue here with those who don't believe in the Trinity, this baptismal part of the Great Commission will be ignored. 
If you don't believe in the Trinity, you're not going to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, are you? You're going to just baptize them in the name of the Father. So you're breaking the commandment of the Great Commission. They will either ignore that part altogether. They'll deny it. They'll say, oh, no, it wasn't in the original text. I've heard that argument. Or they'll deliberately twist it to mean something else. They're pretty clever, I have to say. Some of these guys are pretty clever the way they twist Scripture. Uh, you know, for the weak-minded who doesn't know the Scriptures, they will probably accept their twist, twisted versions. But I can't. I listen to it and I can see straight through it. I'm like, ah, come on, man. What are you trying to do? Why are they getting such great pleasure in trying to deny Jesus as God? When it's clear in Scripture, and as you can tell, I think I'm, I'm bringing forth a pretty strong case today. Jesus is our Lord and our God, Matthew twenty two forty two. What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? The son of David, they replied. And he said to them, how is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord? For he says, the Lord said to my Lord. When we say Lord Jesus Christ, these guys, these anti-deifiers of, of Jesus, uh, will say, oh, there's God and, there's, and Jesus is Lord, but they're not the same. Here it says, the Lord said to my Lord. The Lord said to my Lord. Two. That proves, you know, Trinitarianism. Doesn't it? That Jesus and God exist. And of course we know the Holy Spirit exists because it's all through New Testament and through Old Testament. You know, the Spirit of God hovered upon, upon the waters. <laughs> the Spirit was present in the opening uh, chapter of Genesis. There was God and there was the Spirit. Sit at my hand. And then it says, you know, about um, let us make man in our image. Who's God talking to? Because he's not talking to created beings. He couldn't be because created beings can't create created beings. They can create something less to themselves. They can't create something at the same level as themselves. And you talk to any scientist at the moment, no man can create a man. They can only give birth to a man. They can't create a man. They haven't got the capacity, the power, ability, or the technology or anything to create a man. They can create human hybrids and all that sort of stuff, or probably they can you know what I mean? They're doing all that sort of stuff. They're only mixing with what God's already created. That's all they're doing. It's not coming out of nothing like how God created it. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand and you know the rest. And uh, so Jesus is saying about himself that he's not even, that the son of man or the son of David is not an appropriate title for him because he's David's God. That's what he's saying. I'm David's God, as God is God the Father, because the Lord said to my Lord. I'm, that's the point he's trying to make clear. Again, these anti-deifiers of, of Jesus don't pick that point up. Revelation 21.7, Jesus says, He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and get this, and I will be his God. I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Do I need to comment on that scripture? You know what I mean? How can you read that and go, oh, no, Jesus isn't God. He didn't say that. That's all you could say is he didn't say that or he didn't mean that or he'll twist that to mean something else. I don't know. Why that bother? Why bother? Change your theology to align with scripture. Stop being so prideful. Align your theology with scripture, not the other way around. Don't align scripture with your theology and your pet beliefs. 
Because if Jesus isn't God, there's a whole range of other doctrines you're going to start twisting and distorting. And before you know it, you're not going to even be Christian any longer. Well, you're not Christian the moment you don't believe Jesus is God anyway. Jesus has all of God's attributes. He is the Alpha and the Omega. Revelation 1.8, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, says who? The Lord God, now we're talking about the Father, who is and who was and who is to come. I'm the Alpha and Omega, says the Lord God, the Father. Who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Revelation 22, 12 to 13, Jesus said this, and we know it's Jesus. He said this, behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me. I will give to everyone according to what he has done. So who's coming soon? Jesus, second coming, we know that, right? I'll give to everyone according to what he's done. He's the judge. We know he's been designated the judge by God the Father. And what does he say? I'm the Alpha and the Omega. Same title as Lord God. Same title, Alpha, Omega. The first and the last, the beginning and the end. First and the last, meaning eternal. Alpha and Omega, meaning eternal. Beginning and the end, meaning eternal. No creature is eternal. We know all creatures have a beginning. And when he says the beginning and the end, meaning eternal, if there is a beginning, God and Jesus are there. But we know from Scripture that there is no actual beginning of eternity. Because we know there's also no end of eternity. It's hard to fathom because we have finite minds. We don't comprehend that concept. It doesn't make sense in our minds. Our minds just go, no, that doesn't work. (laughs) It doesn't work, does it? No beginning. Doesn't work in our heads. He created all things. Now, just let me just, just clarify. John 1, 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Who's that? Jesus. Jesus. We know from John 1, 14 that Jesus is clearly the word. And then it says, we have seen the glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, who came from the Father full of grace and truth. We've seen his glory. Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We know that. In the beginning. This is Genesis 1, the opening line of, the, of, of Scripture. In the beginning, uh, God created the heavens and the earth. John 1, verses 1 to 4, in the beginning was the Word. So we know straight away that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We know that's Jesus. And it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Again, how can, you, how can God make it any clearer in Scripture? What does he have to do? Big letters, I am God. <laughs> but he actually said that yes. before Abraham was, I am. <laughs> he used the, the, the name of God for himself, which infuriated the Pharisees because they knew exactly what he meant. They picked up stones to stone him. Come on, if you want to know what he meant, just listen to what the Pharisees said. How they reacted. Then you would get an understanding. Because they knew what he meant in their language. So the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. So Jesus was with God in the beginning. And here we go again. Through him all things were made. Through Jesus all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. That means... Creation depended upon Jesus to be there. Because without Jesus, or the Word, who became flesh, without Jesus, nothing could have been made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. So now all life exists in Jesus. Life as we know it. Breath, breathing creatures, 
living angels, all life is found in Jesus. Come on. Is that not the attributes of God? He created all things. He is life. In him is life. And that life was the light of men. When we saw Jesus, wow, that's the light. You know, our hearts warmed. We found life once we were dead. When we're dead in our transgressions and sins. But then when Jesus came, he's given us life eternal. What a wonderful thing. We've crossed over from death to life. Colossians 1, 16 to 17, it says this, For by him all things were created. By who? Him is Jesus. By Jesus all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. In him all things hold together. That's amazing. Hebrews 1, 2 says the same thing. See, three scriptures all saying the same thing in relation to uh, this doctrine. Hebrews 1, 2, but in the last days he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. That's powerful. Powerful descriptions of the deity of Christ. He's as God as God is. We know now who the creator is. Jesus. And the Father and the Holy Spirit. They worked in unison to create the universe. Now, just in relation to the Son of God, when God used the term Son of God in the Bible in reference to his Son, he used this wording for a very distinct purpose. He wanted to make well clear the kind of relationship which the Father shares with Jesus. That's why he used the term son of God. You know, I have a son, his name is John. We know that because I have a son whose name is John, that he must be a human like me. It's common sense, isn't it? Makes perfect sense. You know, dogs beget puppies, cats beget kittens, but those puppies and kittens grow into dogs and cats. Elephants beget baby elephants. What are they... Yeah. used to know all those sort of things um, yeah and so on so all the all, all animals beget something of the same kind so why did God come along and say the son of God he wanted us to understand who he was talking about the kind of existence that Jesus is very distinct wording not to be confused and misunderstood just so that we can understand it simply and easily. Jesus used to speak in parables, simple analogies for the common person to understand it. This is not hard theology. This is not theology that has a secret deeper meaning, or it has a deeper meaning in the sense of you can go a long way when you start realising Jesus is God. But it's on the surface a very plain, simple to understand. Jesus, Son of God, as God as God is. Hebrews 1 John 1 and Colossians 1 all speak of Jesus' pre-existent nature, doesn't it? That he existed eternally, as well as his level of involvement in the creation of the universe. All things were created by him and for him. And, you know, of course, everything that's in it, all life, even life exists in Jesus, all life. The universe holds together by Jesus. So we've got some pretty powerful descriptions 
But the father wanted to make clear that just like an earthly father and son are of the same kind of existence in nature, Jesus is of the same kind of nature as God the Father. That's why I use such simple terminology, simple uh, explanations. The difference with the God nature to the human nature, because no type will exactly fit the antitype. No analogy is absolutely perfect, you know. Um, you know, I am the vine, Jesus says, as an analogy. But he's not an actual vine, is he? Like a physical vine. You know, so there's going to be things. He doesn't grow leaves, <laughs> right? So there's no analogy or no type is going to be perfect to fit the, the thing. But, but so when he says son of God, we can't assume that there must be a mother, Right? That's one of the little downsides of that. God the Father does not need a woman to beget his son. And also God the Father only has one begotten son. He doesn't have 12 children. Like uh, um, the Mormons will teach that, you know, he has brothers and sisters. And Satan is one of Jesus' brothers. That's what Mormons teach. You know, and they argue around the dinner table. (laughs) That sort of stuff. God the Father only has one begotten son, according to John 3.16. The only begotten son of God. Amen. So God makes well clear in Scripture that Jesus is God. 1 John 5.20, we know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. How's that? He is the true God and eternal life. Even in his Son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God and eternal life. Come on, come on, wake up, anti-deifiers of Jesus Christ. The Son of God, those who deny Jesus' deity simply don't grasp the intended meaning of the analogy God uses to describe his relationship with his own God kin, his kin, his, his beloved. They, they refuse to understand that he uses that to express, he is that close to me, guys. He's a, the equivalent of your son to you is how close he is to me but infinitely more closer because we don't have any of the limitations you guys do because we're God. You know, that's the kind of relationship we have, a father-son relationship. And they always say, you know, uh, that God the Father doesn't need a son to come along and take control of the universe and all this sort of stuff. Well, you know, if I had a business and, and, well, I know of men that have got businesses and they hand their businesses over to their son and that son grows up, you know, and takes control of the business and hand his business over the next son. You know what I mean? Jesus just handles God's, God the Father's business. That's, that's what he does. And he had to be found worthy to do it in the sense of save us. And he inherited all things. Inherited it all, just like any son would inherit their, the father's, you know. But that's a, a very rough analogy and we can't take, we have to understand it and we have to see it from a spiritual perspective. Does that make sense? So, however, there are three groups who do grasp the con- concept of God the Son extremely well. The first, of course, is Trinitarian Christians. We understand the concept very well, and I hope this sermon's helped us to understand it even better. The second are the Jews. They understand the concept very well. And the third are Muslims. They also understand it very, very well. I found this all very fascinating when I did a bit of research here. All three understand that if you claim to be the son of God, then you claim to have the same nature as God, and in that you claim to be God. So Jehovah's Witnesses got to understand this, and Christian Delphians have to look at this. Why were the Jews outraged when Jesus claimed to be the son of God? Or called 
God his father. We all call him father now, but before Jesus, no one did. Right? We, can't, we aren't sons of God in the same way as Jesus is the, the son of God. We are adopted in. We are the Lord's inheritance. We are what, you know, he receives for what he did for us on the cross. So we now have the right as adopted sons and daughters of God to be able to say, Father, that's a great honour. It's a great and huge honour. The Jews and the Son of God. John 5, 17 to 18, Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. So see how he said, My father is always at work. And he's also talking about the Sabbath, touchy issue with Jews. For this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Like these anti-deifiers today, the Jews, through not understanding the plurality of the term Elohim and Adonai, believed God to be a single solitary God. Therefore, they denied Jesus' claims to be God. Uh, But unlike the anti-deifiers, these guys, the Jews, knew what he meant when he said Son of God. He knew the claims Jesus is making. These guys today are trying to say Jesus never said he was God. Do you know what I'm saying? Muslims and the Son of God. The Muslims also see God as one. And it is obnoxious to them to think of God having a son. And I found this fascinating, this bit of, uh, bit of writing. On the Arabic inscriptions of the inner octagonal arcade of the Dome of the Rock, it reads this. In the name of God. Now, this is, remember, this is Dome of the Rock in Jerusalem. This is written, inscribed. It says, in the name of God, the merciful, the compassionate, there is no God but God. So he is one. He has no associate. And then there's a, a little few other things which I didn't need to write, put in here. Oh, people of the book. Now, here he's talking about the Christians because you write, listen to this. Do not exaggerate in your religion, nor utter... Ought, and ought means anything at all, nor utter anything at all concerning God, save the truth. So don't speak anything but the truth. The Messiah, Jesus, the son of Mary, was only a messenger of God. That's all he was, just a messenger of God. And his word which, which he conveyed unto Mary and a spirit from him. So believe in God and his messengers and say not three, meaning Trinity. Cease, it is better for you. God is only one God. Far be it removed from his transcendent majesty that he should have a son. How's that? Far be it removed that he should have a son. His is all that is in the heavens and all that is in the earth, and God is sufficient as a defender. The Messiah will never scorn to be a servant unto God, nor will the favoured angels never become a servant. Jesus says, I am among you as one who serves. And that could never be according to a Muslim. How could God come to serve? Yeah. Now that's on their, uh, you know, on, written on the Dome of the Rock. And curiously, the bulk of the inscriptions on the Dome of the Rock are in reference to Jesus Christ. I find that fascinating. Very little in comparison to Muhammad. Most of it's about Jesus and, and trying to, uh, like these anti-deifiers of Christ, they're trying to, uh, pull down the belief that God or that Jesus is God. 
and that there's a trinity of God. And that's what they spend all of their inscriptions. Uh, the bulk of these inscriptions are all about that. That's amazing. Make sure you read, read that if you can find what the inscriptions of uh, Arabic inscriptions on the inner and the outer octagonal arcade of the Dome of the Rock. So look that up. Very fascinating. Now, in reading through the Anti-Nicene Fathers, I often read of them putting forth arguments for Jesus' godhood. I've only read, uh, I've, I've scattered reading, but I've done a fair bit of one book so far one volume, and I'm amazed already at how much of it is in defence of Jesus' deity. These are, they write in opposition of the scripture twisters and sceptics of the first and second century who claim that Jesus is not God. They clearly put forth the pure gospel message that God entered into the affairs of mankind in the person of Jesus Christ, and he became a man, as John 1.14 tells us, and laid his life down for our sins so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. They clearly put forth that message. Make it clear as crystal in, in Scripture. Oh, sorry, not in Scripture, in, in, in their writings. And uh, so when I read that, I just think, okay, well, they had the same problem we have today. They were fighting against these guys that were trying to deny the Godhood of Jesus Christ. So in conclusion, on reading through the inscriptions on the Dome of the Rock, I found the spirit of their arguments, the spirit of the Muslim arguments, to be exactly the same arguments which these anti-deifiers of Christ argue. Like I've, there's about three or four guys that have come against me of late in relation to uh, Jesus Christ and his deity. The arguments which they put forth were summarised on the Dome of the Rock in the inscriptions. Fascinating. So the spirit that is moving a Muslim to believe what they believe is also moving these people to believe, which is also moving the JWs to believe the way they do and the Christadelphians to believe the way they do believe as well. Isn't that amazing? So we located the spirit. John 5, 22 to 23, moreover, and remember this, I've already quoted this today, the Father judges no one but is entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honour the Son just as they honour the Father. We've got to honour the Son just as we honour the Father. You know, if nothing else was written, that would, that would tell me that Jesus is God. Because we can only we're only allowed to worship God, worship God and God alone. And he's this is this is telling us in John five twenty two to twenty three that we should honour the Son just as in the same way, exactly the same way as we honour the Father. And he who doesn't honour the Son in that way doesn't honour the Father either. So these guys that are claiming Jesus is not God, they're not even honouring the Father anymore. And remember this, the Father sent him. The Father sent his only begotten Son, that whoever should believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So if you don't believe that he's the only begotten Son of God, as God as God is, which is what that whole thing is meaning, that's what it means, then you don't have eternal life. So the Son of God is worthy of the honour and the worship which is only due to Yahweh, simply because... Jesus is Yahweh. Because Jesus is Yahweh. Isn't that amazing?
So I think I've summed up the uh, the argument fairly well today. So I hope it all has benefited you, given you some food for thought. And uh, so let's pray. Thank you, God. Lord, we just thank you for this message and thank you for uh, uh, anointing it and empowering it to hopefully get across and get through to uh, many of these uh, people who have turned their backs on belief in Jesus being God. And Lord, I pray that you will give them the patience to watch through the video and to, uh, uh, to really question what they're believing and understand the implications of what they believe and, uh, and uh, give time to this message to really be absorbed and, uh, and received into their hearts. So I ask that you soften their hearts and open their eyes and open many others around the world also uh, who also might, may believe the same way. I pray that Jehovah's Witnesses watch this video and be impacted. I pray that Christian Dolphins watch this video be impacted. Uh, and Muslims will watch this video and be impacted. And anyone else, any other group. And so we uh, give you praise and glory today, Lord Jesus, and I ask that you be with us this week, bless the week, cover us with your precious blood, and uh, direct our paths always by the power of the Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon. If you search Rob Cartledge in the iTunes store or go to www.robcartledge.com, you'll see a number of different sermon series. Uncovering Religion, Truth, Judgment and Eternity, Apologetics 101, Critical Doctrine and End Times. Feel free to check them out.